0: Everybody And welcome to That's Life, where you know we're settling in here in Teaneck when there are actually fortune cookies waiting for me in this studio. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach. Slightly nasal and hoarse, Miriam Wallach, but I'm here, host of That's Life and the voice and face of Breaking Bread Oven on Instagram. I know I've been a little sluggish on Breaking Bread since uh, the Pesach break, but I- I'm trying to get back up to speed. I really am. I'm trying to get back into the groove, and then, and then I sound like this. I mean... Forget that I sound like this. I look like I have a cold. Do you really want to see me on camera looking like I have a cold? I don't want to see me on camera looking like I have a cold. But whatever, we'll discuss it. We'll discuss it. Stay tuned. I'm also the head of social responsibility at Cross River and you can find me here right you can hear find me here every Thursday right after Allison and right before Yussi's Wig's live lunch. Let's do the national holidays. Um, before we do the national holidays, I just want to mention that this week at Stern College, the Yeshiva University Stern College for Women Award, graduation awards uh, for twenty twenty two, the um, the General Studies valedictorian, a a woman named Debbie Cohn. Um, she was, um, she earned herself, I should say, not awarded. She earned it. She earned herself valedictorian of general studies. She's an incredible story. She really is an unbelievable story. What a success story. She came here from Venezuela four years ago. She went to Stern, um, in, in search of a more, substantial, a more significant, a more meaningful Jewish life. And she found it. She entered the Machina program at Stern College, and she said, I came to New York with with no friends and and no language. And you would never know, you would never know what she must have gone through the last four years when she stood there the other night. I mean, absolutely, she had the whole room. She unbelievably had the whole room. It was really, it, it was a sight to behold. We were hanging on every word. And um, there's a lot you can learn from a 21-year-old, 22-year-old. There's a lot you can learn about how you stand up, about what happens when you fall down and how you pick yourself up again, about challenges, about challenges you face during a pandemic when your family's in Venezuela, about challenges you face when you're accepting the award for valedictorian and your family is on Zoom in Venezuela because they did not come in. It's a challenge but she was absolutely incredible. And so I wish both her and, um, the, uh, and the Judaic Studies, the Judaic Studies Valedictorian, TNAC's own Daphna Levine, I wish them both a hearty Mazel Tov, and of course to all the graduates. Wish them Mazel Tov as well, and a, and a personal shout out to Shoshana Wallach, who had her own hat trick of awards at the award ceremony, winning three different awards. Um, to Shoshana and every graduate we are sincerely sincerely proud of you now and we look forward to continuing to watching you make us proud in the future let's do let's do the fortune cookie because I'm excited that I have a fortune cookie I'm actually excited I have like six fortune cookies and none of them are broken then we'll do the national holidays I didn't forget about the national holidays relax everybody relax let's go fortune cookie Enthusiastic leadership gets you a promotion when you least expect it. Okay. Meh. I mean, this is my inaugural fortune here at the T-NEX studio. Come on, Confucius. Enthusiastic leadership gets you a promotion when you least expect it. All right, we'll take it. I mean, sort of I feel like Confucius is pointing out the obvious here, but that's all right. That's all right. Let's do the national holidays. Today is International Nurses Day. Shout out to all of our favorite nurses, including our own Chava Siegel. She is a wonderful nurse. A lot of a lot of unbelievable women, men going into the nursing field and kola kavod to them, that's for sure. It's also National Limerick Day, which of course inspires the inner English teacher in me. A limerick is a five-line poem where lines one and two rhyme, lines three and four rhyme, and then line five uh, rhymes back with lines one and two. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's any poem that basically starts, uh, there once was a girl from Nantucket. Also, it's National Nutty Fudge Day, not something I'm partaking in. National Odometer Day. If you know what an odometer is without having to Google it, props to you. And you're also obviously not a teenager. It's also International Awareness Day for Chronic Immunological and Neurological Diseases. Shout out to all of you who are suffering from, bo- from, chronolo- from chronic immunological and neurological diseases. And shout out to me for getting all three of those words right without tripping over myself. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and I'm joined this morning by someone I haven't spoken to literally in a number of years, pre-pandemic is the last time we spoke to to Dr. Ephraim Zoroff of the Simon Wiesenthal Center in the Israel office. Dr. Zoroff is a noted author, noted lecturer, and noted Nazi hunter. That is one heck of a title. Dr. Zoroff, good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: Thank you for joining me. I truly appreciate it. How did you fare during Corona?
1: Well, I just recovered uh, this week from Corona. Oh, my. Actually. And um, I I was able to avoid it for over two years. But uh, <laughs> actually, on your match mode, that's when I realized that I probably had it and I tested positive.
0: Wow. And you're feeling okay? Um, listen. I'm
1: I'm I'm back to work as you can imagine.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. So Baruch Rofe Cholim, it's good to speak to you. I'm happy you're on the mend. And I, I before we discuss uh the newest report that has come out of the Wiesenthal Center that came out at the end of April, I do want to take a moment, just you know, be, because we haven't spoken since before the pandemic, how did the nature of your work change or pivot during the pandemic?
1: Well, uh, I would say that there's been a general uh, change in, in policy in our office, because I think everyone understands that we are approaching the end of the efforts to bring Nazis to justice. There are still Nazi war crimes trials uh, being held. Actually, there are two as we speak. And there are eight additional serious investigations which might lead to trials, but um Obviously, this is the uh, final chapter in in, in this uh, in this effort, and as a result, we have been devoting increased time and effort to combat what we call Holocaust distortion. And I'm talking primarily about post communist Eastern Europe, where there is this very very serious serious um, problem in this regard. So let me just explain to our listeners.
2: Sure.
1: Everyone knows what Holocaust denial is. That's people who say that the Holocaust never took place mm-hmm. or the figure of victims was grossly exaggerated. There were no, some say there were no, you know, gas chambers or anything like this. Denial, uh, distortion is something completely different. The countries where where this is a serious problem, like in Ukraine, in uh, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Croatia, Romania, Hungary, Poland, um, they d- do not, by any stretch of the imagination, deny that the shot took place. It took place in their backyard, as we all know. Um, but they they have four goals. One is to hide or minimize the role played by local collaborators. Mm. Now, this is very important because there's a highly significant difference um, in the role of collaborators in Eastern Europe as opposed to the rest of the continent. In other words, if you think about France, Holland, Belgium, etc., those Nazi collaborators helped implement the initial stages of what we call the final solution, but they were never asked, or or forced to carry out the murder of their own Jewish citizens. The collaboration ended at the train station or at the port, and those Jews were sent somewhere else to be murdered by someone else. That somewhere else was Eastern Europe, and that someone else was the Nazis and their local Eastern European uh, assistants, collaborators. But in Eastern Europe, the Nazis, integrated the collaborators into the mechanism, the framework of the implementation of the final solution. And you have to keep in mind also that the final solution did not begin in Auschwitz, in camps like Auschwitz, where people were gassed in gas chambers. It began by (laughs) shooting, implemented by the Einsatzgruppen, the special mobile killing units who had to cover a front of 1,500 kilometers from Tallinn, Estonia, in the north, all the way to Odessa in the south. And in the matter of, of less than two years, they were able to to murder almost a million and a half, or maybe even more than a million and a half Jews. So, since they numbered only a few thousand, the question then becomes: Well, how on earth were they able to do it? Because every single Jew had to be murdered individually. <sighs> They were do- they were killed by shooting. Or in the cases of the babies, sometimes they used to just smash their heads against rocks or trees. But but the the process was incredibly labor-intensive. The Einsatzgruppen themselves numbered only several thousand men and women. How did they do it? They had a huge amount of help from mm. Lithuanians, Latvians, Estonians, and uh, Belarusians, and Ukrainians. So so these so these these countries find it very hard to tell the truth about their uh, about their history so w- one major goal as i said is to hide or minimize the role of their own nationals
0: especially right second, uh, not not to jump in a second but especially right now with the russian ukrainian war there was a lot of um shall we say push and pull at the beginning when the when the war broke out as to how we um, we aid the Ukrainians when there is such a dark and devilish history um, pertaining to pertaining to the Ukrainians and the Holocaust.
1: Correct, and not only during the Holocaust. Listen, the biggest uh, hero of the Ukrainian people is one Bogdan Komornitsky, who in 1648-49 uh, in, in orchestrated a series of pogroms in which some 200,000 Jews were murdered. And another hero of theirs is Shimon Petlura, who, in the aftermath of World War One, was instrumental in, in in widespread pogroms in which a hundred thousand Jews were murdered. The only reason we don't remember that is because the Haskalah was so so much worse. Mm. But and and now even even he, Ukrainian national heroes today are people like Stefan Bandera who was the head of the Organization of uh, Union of Na- uh, Ukrainian Nationalists, whose men joined the Nazis and joined the Waffen SS and were, were heavily involved in the mass murder of Jews in Lvov and Ternopol and other places. And the second hero is Roman Shushkevich, who was head of the Ukrainian UPA, the uh, insurgent army of the Ukrainian nationalists, who in 1943, his troops murdered tens of thousands of Jews and Poles in Vol'in. That's in in Eastern Poland or Western Ukraine, depending on your <laughs> perspective. <laughs> but but um, so that's one problem. The second problem is they're trying to promote the canard of equivalency mm. between communist and Nazi crimes. Right. And they insist that communist crimes are genocide. Now, that's very important for them because if Communist crimes were genocide, which they weren't. That means that Jews committed genocide. If Jews committed genocide, how can the Jews complain or you know protest against? Uh, you know they're hiding the participation of their locals, of their nationals in, in these crimes. The third issue is the issue of national heroes. These countries, they new they made they made the transition from. Soviet occupation or communist occupation to democracy and they of course need heroes so who are the heroes the heroes are the ones who fought against the Soviets after world war II, which is fine and understandable but well, what happens if these same people murdered Jews during the shoah mm. what shouldn't that disqualify a person from being a national hero <laughs> of course of course it should so and the other and the fourth point is that they're pushing For a joint Memorial Day for all the victims of totalitarian regimes. Mm. In other words, Nazism and communism. So if that would be accepted, and there have been three, thank God, non-binding resolutions passed in European forums to support such a thing, um, who needs International Holocaust Day?
0: Mm, very good point. Very, very good point. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm joined by the Simon, Wiesenthal's, Simon Wiesenthal Center's Dr. Ephraim Zuroff. And we are discussing a number of current issues, including the most recent report that was released at the end of April by the Wiesenthal Center reporting on the worldwide investigation and prosecution of Nazi war criminals that currently... I mean, currently, with four trials going on. Dr. Zorf, this might sound like an absolutely ridiculous question, and I apologize if it does, but keeping in mind that there is still so much that is happening on this planet virtually, are these trials happening in person or they're happening virtually?
1: They're happening in person. And the defendants appear in court. They've been examined uh, by special geriatric doctors. Um, and uh, they have been judged uh, healthy enough to stand trial. The the sessions are sometimes limited to you know one or two sessions a week, but they are put on trial, and the trials are con- are, are continuing. And I have to say that one of the most uh, important products of these trials, because the the, the trials now actually there's two, Miriam mm-hmm. that are on. In, in process so of the first five only w- only in one case was the trial stopped for medical reasons mm. all the four other people were convicted and and uh, among those of course was ivan the famous demyanyuk uh from seven hills cleveland and um <coughs> and one of the verdicts that was issued by a female judge by the name of Anne Meyer Goring, uh, in the case of a watchtower guard in, in the Stutthof camp, um, a man by the name of Bruno Day. she wrote. I have, what I have to say is perhaps one of the most brilliant verdicts in a Nazi in a Nazi criminal case, and uh, we chose act to uh, reproduce the entire verdict in English. In our latest, uh, in the last uh, report that we put out, and she basically ripped to shreds all the arguments against such trials. In other words, one of the arguments? The time that has passed, the fact that more senior posi- people in more senior positions were not brought to justice, um, the the age of the defendants and their uh, frailty today, and she basically said. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no such thing as a small cog.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the ages of the defendants, especially one of them, um, according to the report, according to the Wiesenthal report is, is 101 years old. So I guess that there are people who are asking themselves what on earth is the point of putting someone of that age on trial for crimes that were committed so many years ago. And on the other hand, you have those who are saying, even at the age of 101, you stand trials for the evils that you've committed during your lifetime.
1: Correct and and those the reasons that have proved valid and the reasons that I've uh, uh, listed I've, I've been asked that question maybe maybe twenty thousand times already <laughs> over the last forty years okay so you can wake me up in the middle of the night <laughs> I'll just press the button and give you all the
0: answers. <laughs> There's but there there's obviously so much so much to be said for it and and it's such a life lesson, frankly, for hopefully a life lesson to be learned by those extreme those on the extreme who are the the modern day Nazis, the neo Nazis who exist on this planet, who insist on wreaking their own havoc. That they should know that as, as precedent, they should know that no matter how old you are, no matter where you are, we will find you and you will stand trial.
1: Listen, I can tell you, Miriam, I can tell you a story that about an 80-year-old search for a woman who, as a young student, smashed the heads of Jewish babies in a town called Rasein in Lithuania. Uh, and we hope have, we have finally tracked her down and she's alive. But it still has to be verified because there's some some issue of doubt regarding her first name. So, I mean, when I, when I think about a case like this, I say to myself, one of the, the lessons that we're trying to impart and one of the messages that we're sending is, you smash the heads of Jewish babies, even 80 years later we'll be looking for you. Mm. Oh, and as my colleague Rabbi Kupo likes, uh, likes to remind people, some of these Nazi war criminals were involved in killing Jews who were older than they are today.
0: Mm. There's, there's, wow, that is such a that is such a, a poignant piece of information. Is there anything else, Doctor Zorov, in the in the report that you'd like to make sure to include and, and let our listeners know? I mean, it's important to know, by the way, that the that the search and the pro and the prosecution of Nazi Um, criminals is still going on and that with people like you and with the Wiesenthal Wiesenthal Center, that work will continue until the last one is brought to justice.
1: True, that's true. But I want to, you'll excuse me, but I want to say a few words about a book that uh, I wrote. It came out in English in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. So it didn't get uh, anywhere near the attention that it should have gotten. The book is called Our People... Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust. Now, this is something that has never ever been done before. I wrote the book together with a Lithuanian author, a woman, non-Jewish woman, named Ruta Venegaita, who discovered that her relatives were involved in killing Jews. Her <laughs> right, her her uncle and her grandfather. Mm and this book what basically what we did was we went to 40 places of mass murder where Lithuanians murdered Jews 35 in Lithuania itself and what most people don't know is that a Lithuanian unit a police battalion was sent to Belarus in October 1941 and they murdered at least 20,000 Belarusian Jews there so um we interviewed every single person that we met uh, in these places. We went to the provincial towns. We didn't go to the – in one or two cases, we went to cities, but we, we wanted to focus on the, on the provincial towns because the percentage of the Jews murdered in Lithuania in small towns was almost almost 99%. Wow. And, and in almost every one of these cases, the participants were their neighbors. So, so um, we, we taped our conversations as we went from place to place, and we, we dealt with the issues of the identity of the killers in every place, every single person that we met. And they're all non-Jews, Lithuanian non-Jews. We asked them who carried out the murders. The Lithuanians, they said. And, and, uh, and we spoke about the motives motivation for these people to join the killers, the role of anti-Semitism, mm. the the, um, the question of alienation between Jews who were more educated than the Lithuanians, for example, and uh, had better professions and better sometimes uh, economic situation. In any event, um, the my co-author also did research in the KGB archives. Of this post, that's the trials of the by the Soviets of the Nazi collaborators, and uh, she focused on three groups: the political leadership, the local administration, and the killing squads. So, and this book was the only reason it was published in Lithuanian was because uh, my co-author was a very popular author, and her previous book had been a runaway bestseller.
2: Mm-hmm. So the
1: book was about the book was about advice to women at 50. <laughs> so so we went to talk to the publisher and they said to her, Ruta, you wrote a fantastic book about women. Why don't you write a book about men? So she said, Oh, that's a great idea, I'll do that. But before I do that, you're gonna print the book that I'm currently writing. Ruta. You're writing a book, another book already? How wonderful. What are you writing about? The Holocaust. Oy, you should have seen their faces. (laughs) I'm sure. Anyway, but they said, listen, we'll publish the book on one condition. You don't tell anybody what you're writing about until the day of the launch. Okay, so we did it. We kept our part, and they kept their part, and— in general, in Lithuania, it was taken by total shock, because Ruto also uh, she interviewed the two most popular priests in Lithuania, one Catholic, one Evangelical. And, uh, and when they when she put out the notice, the press release on the launch of the book, people couldn't couldn't understand what's happening. Ruto Venegaita, the popular author the two most popular priests and the most hated Jew in Lithuania. That's me. <laughs> what on earth is going on? It's taking place in an Italian restaurant, which Ruta discovered was the headquarters of the Ipatinga Burris. That was the special Lithuanian mass murder squad who murdered 70,000 Jews in Ponar. I don't know, That's Dr. Zor- mass murder
0: I, don't, I don't know, Dr. Zorf It sounds like the beginning of a joke. Two priests, an author, and a Jew walk into an Italian restaurant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they order pizza. Um, in any event, in any event, the book two thousand copies sold out in less than forty eight hours. Amazing! The book ultimately sold twenty thousand copies in Lithuania, and it's, it's the a, most popular book in the public libraries for three years running.
0: And it's available on Amazon so, here in the states. It's uh, available in English in Amazon, on
1: Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, by the publisher Roman and Littlefield. And uh, it's something, as I said, listen, I, I, I don't want to sound self-serving, okay? But nothing like this has ever been done. I'm a victim. I'm a, the descendant of the victims. I'm named for one of the victims of the mm. Shoah. I was supposed to have a different name. And, uh, and and the Ruta, of course, is the descendant of the killers. Wow. So, she, she suffered very much ultimately because of what she did, and she was forced to leave Lithuania. Now she's back there. She's already written a second book about the Shoah, which is wonderful, called How Did It Happen? Mm. She asked the, the world's leading expert in the Shoah all the questions that she, she would try to understand how the Shoah played out in her homeland. Well, I'm and this guy, Christoph Dickman Christoph Dickman is a genius, absolute genius, knew all the languages. He learned Lithuanian. He knew German. He's a German non-Jew. He knows German. He, he studied in Israel for a year. He knows Hebrew. So Hebrew plus German equals Yiddish. <laughs> and, uh, and that's it's an amazing, amazing book. I told Ruta because I read the manuscript in English because that was the common language between them. I said, Ruta if our book was a bomb, this book is a nuclear bomb.
0: Wow. Well, I, I give... But I one, give, story I you. I, one story I have to tell you. One story I have to tell you.
1: The head of national security in Lithuania went on national television and said that the book was a threat to national security. Wow. So I was. I heard that. I cracked up. I started laughing. Well, sure, Putin is going to invade, right? Because because of a book, because of the book that we wrote. But now, the, the irony of the story is, It's not so far-fetched
0: that's that's unbelievable. well the, the whole story in general is unbelievable and dr. Zoroff, I wish I mean we will definitely continue this conversation in another time certainly our conversations with you do not disappoint for those people looking for more information about the Wiesenthal Center you can go to Wiesenthal.com and you can also check out information on the Israel office at swC and you can of course follow dr. Zorov on Twitter at e. Zorov, that's E. Zorov on Twitter. Doctor Zorov, my thanks as always to you, not only for for an unbelievable interview, but also for your continued contribution to the memory, the memories of the Holocaust, the lives that were lost, and of course to Jewish history. My thanks to you.
1: Thank you, thank you, Miriam. I appreciate your appreciation.
0: Toda So Toda and Feel good. And, uh, all the best from shalim. Amen, amen, and feel good. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Segal Network. The afternoon continues with a full day of programming. The live lunch, hosted by Yossi Waig, begins in just a few moments. Throwback Thursday at 1 p.m. Encore of JM Rewind at 4 p.m. And the Arab Shab show, hosted by Mark Zamek, brought to you by our friends at Kedem, is at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And, of course, tomorrow morning, join Nachum as he hosts JM in the AM at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Malcolm Holine joins him at 7.40 in the morning. Naomi Nachman with table for two, maybe, Not sure. We'll check that. Avrami will check that for us. Potentially after (laughs) the conclusion of J and AM and of course, Saturday Night Seagull, hosted by Avrami, starts nine. P.M. Motzei, Shabbat, and 7 a.m. Sunday morning, Matzos J.M. Sunday. Don't miss a moment of it. Continuing with our Sphera format, here is Home by the Maccabees. This song is an exception in my, in my Apple library. Why? Because it's a song I listen to all year round. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.
2: Been a lot of places, I've been all around the world, seen a lot of faces, never know where I was, on the horizon, ooh, well I know, I know, I know, I know, will be rising back home. Where we came from, the city won't change us, we beat to the same drum. No, we won't forget where we
0: came from, the city won't change us, we beat to the same drum.
2: You say that it's hard standing still Don't you know that I spend all my nights Counting backwards the days till I'm home yesterday I know my kingdom awaits and they've forgiven my mistakes I'm coming home